0: God damn it! I can't spell anymore, you know that. You can't. I can't. You know why? Because spell check.
1: No, because you're fucking
2: stupid.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Am I the only
2: one that has two beers ready here unopened?
0: I have. I have a glass of wine that I'm working uh, through. Hang on one moment. I need to pour some more bourbon into my drink. Oh, hang on. I know we're not like the cool kids podcast where they smoke pot during their podcasts. Who does?
2: we could we could give that a try i'm not against that maybe for a future episode i think that would be interesting
0: it's a little after seven o'clock pacific daylight time on july seventh, two 2011 which means it's time for medialoper bebop tonight it's the return of larry david so we look at why people are still enthused for curb also, Rupert Murdoch closes one of his most well-known papers over alleged hacking and bribery. And finally, the Kinks provide the next inductee to the Medialoper Great Albums Hall of Fame. All that and a musical moment with an asshole on Medialoper Bebop Episode 10, Shangri-La. I'm your host Jim Connolly, and with me as always are Tim Gaskell, Curtsies. and Kirk Biglione. Hello. Hey Kirk, how's that Aloha spirit going? Um it's
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's in deep freeze. Oh wait a I'm minute gonna, I'm wait. gonna get it back when I need it. Wait. Are you, I, you have- know what, I listened to the first thing and I can't believe what kind of drugs was I on? <laughs> <laughs> Apologizing to Steve Perry? What the <laughs> hell was that? <laughs> You know, so I think Steve. Perry- I take back that apology. I meant everything I ever said about Steve Perry.
1: No, you just have to go back and think about your sandals. Tell people about your sandals.
2: Oh my, right! My, my sandals glow in the dark and have bottle openers on the bottom,
0: and
1: I use Mahalo, Mahalo ice cubes.
0: And we use Kirk's sandals to open beer up on the Fourth of July.
1: We did. They are perfect. There's nothing they
0: cannot do. Um. Can they make Kirk's aloha spirit come back? Yes, by opening that bottle
1: of beer, which he will drink, and get the spirit back.
2: That won't quite do it. I'll need to be opening that bottle of beer um, on a beach in Maui. Okay.
1: <laughs> but can't you just, now that you've been, can't you just go, But can't you just shut oh, yeah. your eyes right. and go back? Yeah. Not during this podcast though.
0: I well wait a second. I just feel like that we need to actually test Kirk's theory and fly to Maui and see if he gets his Aloha Spirit back.
1: Let's do a Maui uh Media Loper Bebop cast on the beach.
0: And we can get some Maui Wowie and then we can also do the pot thing. We can do we can write it off two different ways.
2: You know what we need? What's a, that? A, a paying sponsor. Not one of these fake sponsors you, you dream up, Jim. We need actually someone to pay. And then we could, you know, sell the sponsorships and uh, they'd cover our costs.
0: Are you suggesting that we sell out, Kirk? What about Virginia? No, Italy?
2: no. I'm suggesting we get to someone else to pay for our way to Hawaii to do the Hawaiian episode.
0: How about our wives? Mm, There we go.
2: (laughs) You know, I think technically if they paid our way, we'd, you know, kind of be kicking in. Yeah, it's not really coming out out of the same budget. (laughs) It'll come back to haunt
0: us. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I got to be a good guy. Yeah, you will look like a good guy here. But I don't really want to be a good guy. You know what you are? You're a social assassin. I guess I am in a way. Kirby Enthusiasm comes back this week for its eighth season, something which seemed impossible when HBO ran the original Kirby Enthusiasm special back in 2000. At that point, people knew Larry David was part of Seinfeld, maybe, but that was about it. Now, he's established one of the most unique comic voices in TV history, and his show is always an event. Guys, what do you think the secret of Larry David's success is?
1: Well, that's easy. He makes everybody... Feel better about themselves because they're not Larry David because he the beauty of Larry David comedy is he acts out on things that we think all the time and he creates these wonderfully uncomfortable situations that you know we kind of we see in our mind but we never actually go there
2: he gets to say and do the things we don't get to say and do exactly and And we get to see the results of that
1: yeah, and there's the the other except of-
2: that sometimes I do the things. <laughs>
1: that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, and the results are very similar. <laughs> some of us part. Some of us take it uh, to heart. And uh, obviously, the the other thing about the Larry David um, and the Curb Your Enthusiasm thing is his style that he started on Seinfeld, where he has two or three plot lines running that intersect, and then. Then tie in at the end. He he does that for most episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm as well, which is kind of a real Larry David kind of signature move.
0: Well, you know that's one of the things. So two, there's two, there's two things we'll, we'll go here. We'll get we'll get to the Larry David moments in a little bit. But um, the first point is the comedy of discomfort, right? I mean, in ten years ago, that wasn't really much of a thing. Larry David was doing it, started doing it here, and almost at the same time. Ricky Gervais did it with the original UK Office.
2: Yeah, this this is this is. Who do you think is better? Who do you think is better at hitting like really being uncomfortable while still being funny? Larry David or that Office series?
1: Hmm. Well, that's kind of a. Because it's question. the
2: same. It's the same quality, or are they just kind of superior in their own ways?
1: They do. The, my my take on that is Ricky Gervais as an actor is is really kind of. Kind of has more more tools than than Larry David. Larry David's a bit more kind of one note, but Larry David as a writer um, and somebody who who kind of you know the the casting in his show as well is. Quite extraordinary.
0: Well, there's there's also another difference too in the at the characters they play. Why are we spending so much time talking about Ricky Gervais when the topic is Larry David? Hang on, I'm getting to I it. I think
2: what we're hitting here is that Ricky Gervais is like a British Larry David.
0: Right, but <laughs> uh, but 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 there's also we were talking a little bit about the difference, and and they both excel in this, and and they both made careers of this because extras and 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 Kirby enthusiasm and The Office and even the podcasts have those mm-hmm. moments of uncomfortableness. So. Yes. So the right. difference between Larry David and Andy Millman, which was his character in Extras, and and David Brent, is that Gervais's characters want to, are still striving. They're, 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 they try to pretend that their lot in life is better than they are. Larry David has fuck you money. Larry David yeah. can do whatever the <laughs> right. hell he wants. And right. that, that and even And even it.
2: his friends who aren't doing well, at least in the Larry David show, his friends that aren't doing well are still doing pretty well.
0: Exactly. I mean that in this mobius strip scripts where mm. something that happens in the first act will come back around to bite him in the ass at the at the, in, the, in the last act that's yeah. that's a structural thing in terms of how his his comic sensibility works but the character is he's got fuck you money and so at the end of the day he he has to make up these social conventions that piss him off in order to <laughs> to have any sort of conflict in his life yeah so one of the things we love about Larry David, of course, is what we call Larry David moments, where he actually, as Kirk pointed out earlier, he says and does the things that we want to say and do in uh, in a social situation. And I would say, out of the three of us, Kirk probably has actually done and said a lot of those things more than Tim and I. Is that a fair thing, Kirk? Uh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> At least I'm told that that's the way other people saw it. I can't help it if uh, people ever react.
1: I, I think that's probably a fair assessment. I, I again, I think about Larry David moments. I don't act on them very, very often.
0: I do in restaurants occasionally if I don't like the service.
2: Here's the Mm. thing about the Larry David moment and the whole uncomfortable thing where Larry does something that everyone around him exclaims, oh, my God, why did you do that? It almost always, there's the thread, the thread of his comedy, if you trace it back to the origin, it almost always originates with something that Cheryl did. (laughs) She set him up.
1: (laughs) He does. Repeatedly.
2: And Larry looks bad, and if you trace it all the way back, he's just trying to do the right thing for his wife, who has left him. Yes. So this is the question. What is his life post-Cheryl going to be, both in you know, real life as well as the show, Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah. And he goes to New York, apparently.
1: When I first heard that half of the season was filmed in New York, I my heart kind of sank because I felt like this would be perfect to do an entire season in New York because, you know, think of the possibilities. You know, he's he's like Woody Allen on steroids at times. And
0: except he was a terrible Woody Allen substitute and right. whatever works. It's like
2: Woody Allen on steroids unless Woody Allen is writing and directing him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> or, or the steroids turn him into Marvin Bernard instead of Barry Bonds.
1: <laughs> God. <laughs> That's an obscure reference. I can't even remember Marvin Bernard. <laughs> I know he
0: played for the Giants. I know he was terrible. I can't remember him. It's just as well. Uh, this is Jim Connolly with a musical moment to die for. Uh, the opening verse of Power by Kanye West just detonates with forward momentum.
2: I'm living in that 21st century. Doing something mean to it. Do it better than anybody you ever seen. Do it. Screams from the haters. Got a nice ring to it. I guess every superhero need it.
0: On his 2010 album, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Kanye West deployed masked human voices like Jimmy Page deployed distorted Les Paul riffs, creating huge musical soundscapes. And while neither Kanye's singing nor his rapping are all that special, they sure as shit are his humanizing his otherwise outsized music and his otherwise outsized public persona. In fact, it would actually make his music worse if he were better, because there would be nothing to bring him back down to earth and reveal him not just as an insecure, arrogant asshole, but rather as an insecure, arrogant asshole who lives to make this music. In the case of Power, the result was a song that so earned its classic rock sample, it's almost like Greg Lake knew who he was singing about in the first place. That was Kanye West with Power, a song that contains a musical moment to die for. This podcast is a presentation of Medialoper Bebop. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of the commissioner of Medialoper Bebop is prohibited.
1: Speaking of the commissioner, yes. I just hope he doesn't take over the podcast and claim ownership Because we can't pay our bills. Oh, God, we
0: got to get the sponsorship for that, don't we?
1: I don't want this to turn out like the McCourts.
2: (laughs) No, yeah, we have to get the commissioner to approve our sponsorships. Exactly. This is going to be another problem. This is another reason why we can't take the sponsorship from our wives.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I bought
0: There's
2: no way the commissioner would approve that.
0: I don't know. I kind of think that he's hit on all of our wives at some point.
1: I don't know about you guys, but when I bought my fourth home, my, my, my home in, uh, Montana. I kind of started, it kind of hit me that maybe I, I'm kind of stretching myself based on the, based on the profits of Medialoper Bebop.
2: Well, (laughs) who are the profits of Medialoper Bebop?
1: we are the profits.
2: Maybe if we got all of your profits to invest, (laughs) we could form a compound and our sister wives could get together and, Ooh, (laughs) Now you're throwing this big love and wash our clothes while we go to Maui.
0: <laughs> I'm sure they'll... I'm sure we. The uh,
2: combination of that with, with me saying that Cheryl David was the root of all of Larry David's problems. That's <laughs> just what
0: I, I was going to say. Let's
2: go to the phones, Jim. I'm sure we have some callers who have some hey, opinions. Hey,
0: rocks, come here that. for a second.
1: Today's, today's podcast is sponsored by the word misogyny. <laughs>
0: No. I don't think she's going to. wait. Hang on. Or is um, it polygamy?
2: Not we're polygamy, yes. That's the period.
0: <laughs> so, Kirk, so Kirk thinks that all Larry David's problems are due to sh- his wife. What do you think? <laughs> she's just looking at me. He also thinks that he you guys should... That that? I can
2: explain it better than you did.
0: Um, <laughs> well... <laughs> i don't think she wants to be on the podcast <laughs> she's just looking at me like well just tell her to nod but also you guys are going to sponsor us going to hawaii are, are you you and you and jean and cassia is that okay
1: sponsor the three of you going to Hawaii. yes
0: yeah, so we can record on the beach
1: Not us.
0: hello well it's for a po- it's for the podcast no are you sure Positive. okay so Not she me. said yeah i'll just cut out the part where she said no <laughs> Oh tell great. Thanks, Rox. <laughs> tell it we need the
2: check by next Thursday.
0: And we need the check by next Thursday. I love that.
1: <laughs> nice. Somebody just opened another bottle of beer with their with their shoe.
0: <laughs> yep. The print world was stunned this week with the announcement that Rupert Murdoch was going to close one of his most well-known tabloids, The News of the World, over allegations of phone hacking and bribery. Tim, you've been following this story for quite some time. What is your take on it?
1: Oh, God. Well, first of all, Rupert Murdoch, public enemy number one. Let's let's just lay it out on the line. Um, You know, the problem with him is he's been... He, he's tried to bend and twist rules in Australia, in the UK, and in America when it comes to media and ownership and everything, and basically he's gotten away with a lot because he has a lot of money. He's been very successful. The problem with, with Murdoch is he's kind of too big for his own damn good. The news of the world has been literally, and I'm not exaggerating, it is is it it is the the the... the, the the nadir it is the scum of all tabloid newspapers it is where everything started with horrible tabloid newspapers it is it is literally it is just the worst writing the worst story everything
0: it's isn't it the isn't it the most read newspaper in the english language i
1: don't know probably
2: well they were saying their circul- their weekly circulation is still 2.8 million for a newspaper in this day and age 2.8 million
1: yeah. 2.8 that's, million a week. That's, yeah. That's not bad, right?
2: Yeah, no. Yeah. Not but bad
1: But you have to remember in the UK, you don't have regional newspapers. You don't have the Washington Post or the Times. You don't have the New York Times. You don't have the LA Times. You don't have the Times. So it's a
2: national newspaper.
1: It's a national. It's a national
2: newspaper. tabloid.
1: Exactly. Almost all mo- all the big papers in the UK are all national. They're not regional. So it's, it's been for, for, for decades, for the last couple decades, it's been the top tabloid and it's been horrible. And The Sun, obviously, is the it's the, the Monday through Saturday version of News of the World. News of the World is really the Sunday paper of The Sun. So <clears throat> now that they're closing down News of the World, after all the hacking allegations, I would bet the farm that The Sun will just become a seven-day paper. That's all. <clears throat> so I don't think well,
2: but but we're hearing that I mean, the the word is that the sun is probably doing the same thing that um, news of the world was doing. Yes, that that's just the way those kinds of news, imagine the air quotes, organizations operate is yes. that that's just a matter of of course for standard operations. Yes exactly. uh, will the owner of the Sun do the same thing Murdoch did and why did Murdoch do what Murdoch did and who would imagine that a paper that's been around for 156 years and still has a circulation, a weekly circulation of almost 3 million would go from that to being shut down in, what has it been, less than two weeks.
0: What was the tipping point? Well that's sorry let's just go
1: back and re uh, <clears throat> stipulate something that News of the World and the Sun are both owned by Murdoch.
2: Okay. So, so okay, right. I didn't know this. I don't read newspapers the, here or in the UK.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so basically the Sun so that's why I'm saying the <clears throat> the Sun I think will will just go to a 7-day okay. paper
2: and, and he'll and move some story. of the staff over cuz yeah, don't these people just get jobs at other newspapers now? <laughs>
1: Yeah, they'll, they'll just—I think they'll just port the staff over to the other, the other paper, the Sun, and it'll be—it'll call be called the Sunday Sun or something stupid. I don't know. And and um, but the Sun, the the thing. What my point here is, the Sun is really just the news of the world for the for the rest of the week. It's it's a terrible paper. It's always been extremely right wing, except when, um, you, you know they were they they kind of pussied out when, when Tony Blair became, you know, when it was obvious that Tony Blair was just going to kill the conservatives and the labor, well, the, Tony Blair and the Labor Party were going to kill the conservatives, you know, they <clears throat> uh, they switched sides and they said, okay, we support Tony Blair.
0: Well, that's interesting because there's no way in hell the Washington Times or the New York Post would ever do that or the Wall right. Street Journal, right? They would right. never, I've, ever
1: but you know what it, it was such a it was such a groundswell. They knew they knew it was pointless to support the conservatives because no matter. Way in hell they would win. So what's going on with this specific? So the specific one here obviously is uh, they hacked into cell phones of victims of the um, allegedly allegedly hacked <laughs> cell phones. Uh, one, the, the big one was there was a murder victim, a young girl. I mean there was a family of the girl um, who was murdered. And um this was a uh, Millie Dowler was her name. She was killed and then they 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 hacked into the phone. Um, and also the victims of the the London bombings and <clears throat> I think it was the seven seven bomb the July seventh bombings or whatever. You know, they the vic- literally victims of that bomb, they hacked into their cell phones. I mean, this is you cannot go any lower than this there's 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 a you know there's like a scumbag scale you can't go any lower so than this. why why would they i mean what was the purpose of hacking into those cell phones <laughs> to get to get dirt to get whatever to get background to get whatever they could you know to form a story about these people well
2: one you know, report one reporter um deleted like 25 voicemail messages <laughs> on the dead persons a kid the dead was it the dead girl
1: Mm,
2: yeah. the, uh, d- deleted 25 voicemail messages so there would be room for new messages to come in.
1: <laughs> exactly. So they would transcribe the messages, you know, take it down and then... The, um, the
2: box was full so it'll allow more messages than they had to delete. It's crazy.
1: So the, the, the question becomes, you know, it's kind of like the reagan iran gate thing. How much did he know? And if he did know it, when did he know it? And I can't imagine running a Murdoch paper and not keeping him in the loop but maybe I maybe they did I don't know you know the people that they're dealing with celebrities and even non-celebrities with victims of crimes and stuff so they, they you know the thing is what it reveals is that they have no protection no privacy no nothing so i think that is the bottom line and you know This could lead to a lot of, hopefully, a lot of arrests, and it could lead to some law changes, and it could lead to some serious economic damage to Murdoch, which I hope is the case.
2: So, here's a question for you, for both of you. If News of the World could drop so quickly, when it's still, by all accounts, when you look at it, a viable
1: commercial entity. No, No, but it's not it's not because all the advertisers have dropped out nobody will touch it
2: let me let me finish where I'm going with this okay. before this happened it was and it happened so quickly is there a possibility that we could ever see something similar happen in the United States with Fox News where Fox News, what do you call them, reporters, correspondents? I'm sorry, Middle East experts. Well, I, found, I call
1: them fiction writers. <laughs> were
2: found, um, you know, hacking people's phones, for example, mm-hmm. as a widespread practice.
1: Yeah. How
2: do you think that would play here?
1: Well, I think it would be just as bad as uh, here. And I think you'd see a lot of advertisers drop off, you know, in a, in a heartbeat.
2: So, and so, would Murdoch then support Fox News, or would he fold Fox News that quickly?
1: I don't think he would fox uh, Fox it. I don't think he would fold it that quickly. I think what they would do is here. I think if you root out the problem, you know, you you have a scapegoat and you root them out. You know, maybe it's Sean Hannity. God forbid.
0: Um, I think they circle the wagons. This is a different thing on 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 a small island than there is in a, a country of 300 million people you don't yeah. fox doesn't need anything more than a few million and they can't do anything to lose that audience
1: yeah and i i think yeah yeah because it's a different audience and different demands where <clears throat> you know in the uk you have this huge competition basically between two two daily tabloids the sun and the mirror and they're always trying to out do each other with regard to tabloid stories. You don't quite have that same cutthroat mentality here.
2: So you're saying that ultimately though the standards of journalism would be upheld in the UK because the market is smaller and in the United States if Fox News is found doing the same thing it would pretty much blow over and they would continue with business as usual ultimately.
1: No I just think they would, Jim said they'd circle the wagons, I think they would cut out whatever I think they would be they would move quickly to cut out whoever they perceived as you know the, the scapegoat and let them go and then but and then they would you know PR spin what they've done as you know this was the act of a rogue you know person so
0: Two month, two or three months from now, are is is Murdoch done as a as a and not just Murdoch's eighty, so he's done in a few years, no matter what. Is his empire done dominating media in Great Britain?
1: I can only hope so. I doubt it. You know, he's still got the B Sky B satellite network, and you know there are <clears throat> petitions to kind of limit his power there as well. Um, it's gonna it's gonna severely impact him financially, which is good. But it's gonna be but when you when you talk about it in his terms, it's gonna be like, you know, he may lose, you know, a few hundred million out of his multiple billions a year. I, you know, who knows? Right. But who knows? But but at least it, it it makes people aware of the issue. You know, it's put to bed. You know, one of the worst newspapers in the history of the English language. Um, you know, there, there are some good to come out. There are some good things to come out of it.
0: So, a very long time ago, when we were all DJs on KFSR, our college radio station, we created a show called "Great Albums" that used to never get played on the radio in Fresno because the radio in Fresno used to suck. It was later shortened to just the "Great Albums" show, but one of the albums we featured because, on
2: it because we sold out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what right. was that?
2: It was shortened to just the great album show because we sold out. Oh, we the didn't, sponsors. the sponsors didn't like the full name. They didn't like how long it was. And they didn't like the part where, because radio in Fresno used to suck.
1: That's I'm right. Sorry. I'm, sorry. Let's, I'm sorry,
2: Jim, continue <laughs> whitewashing history <It> called, <laughs> yeah. as you were.
0: Underwriters, not sponsors. And, and one of the albums we featured on it was this one. This Sunday at 8 o'clock, it's the KFSR Great Album Show. Take a trip back in time with us this week as we present the kinks' 1969 classic, Arthur or the Decline and Fall of the British Empire. When Arthur was released in 1969, it was ignored in favor of The Who's Tommy. But now many people consider Arthur better than Tommy. It features everything from great social commentary... to great kinks pile-driven rock and roll. So if you were introduced to the kinks by Destroyer or Come Dancing, then listen to Arthur and find out how the kinks sounded in their heyday this Sunday at 8 o'clock on the KFSR Great Album Show. And maybe you'll become a connoisseur of classic kinks. Happy New Year from your friends here at 90.7 KFSR. We've been big fans of the album Arthur or The Decline and Fall of the British Empire for quite some time now. Therefore, I would like to officially induct it as the second entrant of the Medialoper Great Album's Hall of Fame. Arthur, such a great album. Tim, you proposed it. Why don't you tell us?
1: Jim and I, I'm not sure about Kirk. Jim and I have been Kinks fans for since uh, this sometime in the 70s. I,
0: I think Larry was really the one who kind of turned me on to the Kinks. Larry Rubino.
1: Yeah, Larry, our friend Larry, turned us on. Yeah, he kind of got us into it more. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, what, what you learn is you kind of gain access to a new band that and this is one that we went. We all went to LA to go see back in like 1980 or 81, and would see them at the Forum. And then you kind of you go back, and you start exploring their back catalog, and you know we kind of we kind of picked up the plot with um, Lola, and kind of their later albums. Low Budget was probably the first al- album I owned by them, and then I kind of worked back from that, and you start reading about. Their so called classic albums, you know, starting with like Face to Face and Village Green and something else. And <clears throat> you get them and you start listening to them, and then you start putting them in your own, you start ranking them in your own order as to what you feel is, is the best Kinks album. And <clears throat> after I'd amassed all my Kinks albums, even before that, I pretty much had determined that Arthur was probably my favorite album.
2: Give the scum a gun, and make
1: the bugger. Shot on sight if he dies will send a medal to
0: his
1: wife <laughs> number 1 it was at this so-called concept album which everybody was doing in the 60s this came out in 1969 and you know arguably it's one of the better concept albums because it's pretty pretty straightforward kind of idea plot, whatever you want to call it. And it was based on an idea that uh, Ray had for this Granada T V special that never actually materialized. You know, he was approached to do this and it it, for whatever reasons, money, etc. it never kind of came to fruition, but the album did. And it was it was it's very poignant at times and very moving and other times it's very celebratory and but it's always always well observed and the music's always well played. It's um You know, it's kind of shambolic at times, but that's the beauty of it. It pretty much, you know, if if you talk to most Kinks fans, I would say this will be in everyone's top five.
0: Isn't it interesting that it opens with with uh, a song about the one of the the icon, the single biggest probably the single biggest icon of the British Empire and yeah. ends with just a song about a guy.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It kind of descends, yeah, exactly. And <clears throat> um, but it, it just runs the gamut of, you know, so many kind of emotions and images and and everything and it just encapsulates this whole this this whole world so well and that's why to me you know ray went on to do a bunch of so-called concept albums the preservation album soap opera schoolboys in disgrace stuff like that and this still is i think his shining moment we shall fight them on the beaches on the hills and in the field we shall fight them in the street What
0: about you, Kirk?
2: You know, here's the thing. As you know, Jim, (laughs) I didn't have this one in my mix. Right. And I I don't know why. Um, We had some discussion about what this album would be. right um and ultimately tim decided on a possibility of a couple of kinks albums and village green is the one that i'm way more familiar with so when i went to look for this um i found that it's impossible to get a downloadable version of either of those albums it's really bizarre um So you actually have to get the CD. So uh, I came in acquisition of the CD to put in my mix very recently after having not listened to this for a long time. So I have a very different perspective. Although I have to say that quite a few of the songs I know from having random, actually it was a huge collection of Kink's singles. So I know them in almost like a single context instead of the cohesive album context. So it's been great over the last week to listen to them kind of reassembled. Um, But at the same time, I'm looking at the uh, reissue bonus tracks. And when you're talking about how it flows from Victoria to Arthur at the end and thinking, then there are 10 more songs. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: true.
2: (laughs) And they're interesting from a historical perspective but when these albums are reissued they already they always throw all this other stuff in at what point does that actually become part of the album are those songs would you consider now that those are part of the reissue such as it is
1: no well, let, let me let me reiterate on the issue of the reissue on the reissue but um there are only five extra songs that are different the rest are like mono mixes and stereo mixes. So there's there's B sides, basically. Uh, "Mindless Child of Mother," that I think it was the B side. Uh that was a Dave Davies song, and and it's uh, one of the
0: best songs the Kinks ever did.
1: Yeah, it's still it's one of the greatest songs of all time. I see-
0: These ended up on uh, the Great Lost Kinks album, or or um, the uh, Kinks Chronicles, and some of them. Tim, I don't remember this, but one of the one of the trips we took to the coast in the early '80s, I bought a, a Japanese bootleg called like Quiet Kinks or something like that that had a lot of these songs on it. The first time we heard them, they, wow. these B sides and stuff. Before. But when
2: were these recorded? Were these outtakes from the session, or were they? Ha-
1: yeah, they were. Well, so most. So the, the mono mixes were obviously just you know either slight
2: right, mono mono versions of the
1: album, mono versions, but sometimes they use different takes and stuff. Yeah, um, but um, a couple of them were recorded right around the same time. Yeah, they 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 do come from the same the same era.
2: So do you think they were written with the intention of initially being part of this? kind of cycle of songs and they just didn't fit in once they got everything in the studio or were these just like odds I, and ends that just got recorded?
1: I think because a few of them are Dave songs I think they weren't part of the thing because I think these. he also at the same time he'd recorded his first solo album that never actually got released so I think they came from his so called solo album and then um, most of these are Dave songs I think but for the most part, no, they, they they don't really form the the tracks 1 through 12 are pretty much a cohesive flowing storyline.
0: Some other sun lies in the field
2: Someone has killed some other sun today Head blown up by
1: some soldier's gun While all the
2: it's a concept album.
1: Yes. It is a concept album, and it's a very, it's actually one of the better ones. The song, She's Bought a Hat Like Princess Marina, is all about the, the class thing and how, you know, people would spend money on... You know, buying a, a, a trendy hat rather than being putting food on the table
0: Right, know? she bought a hat like Princess Marina is also about kazoo <laughs> She holds a hat like Princess Marina And her neighbors think <laughs> it treats her a treat But she
1: hasn't any food in the lava Knows anybody else in
0: Which is one of the reasons I like it, is that they throw in, uh, you know, Kazoo, and there's a lot of harpsichord and piano, and God knows horns. There are horns on almost every single song on this album, and yet, I think it rocks more than any Kinks album, including low budget, including their early albums. I mean, just in terms of just, maybe it's the the super sloppiness of Mick Avery, which is which is amazing which is amazing um, and Dave Davies I don't think was ever better than oh. this album
1: and if you especially on the reissue the remasters where it, I, it seems to it feels to me like his guitar playing is kind of brought up a little bit in the mix um, the
0: reissue?
1: on the reissue um, his, his playing's amazing and he does some you know listen to his guitar playing on yes sir no sir you know obviously Australia brainwash stuff like that it's just everywhere it's everywhere.
0: It's and everywhere. everywhere. And and to me, this is... As I was thinking about this, and maybe I just have this other band on my mind, but... There's a lot of DNA, the replacements have a lot of the same DNA as the Kinks in that they had a genius songwriter, singer, and songwriter up front, but the rest of the musicians, not great musicians, but the sound they made was perfect for the genius songwriter's songs.
1: Yeah, they all it all coalesced, and what what's brilliant is it sounds like it could fall apart at any time, but it never does. it's an album that I don't think I'll ever get tired of and I can not say that about too many
0: albums. So you say it's your favorite Kinks album? I would say it's my favorite Kinks album. How about you, Kirk?
2: Uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite Kinks album.
0: What would you say is? Uh, Probably Village Green. I couldn't argue with Village I couldn't argue with anything between something else Village Green, Arthur, or Lola. I mean, to me, those four albums are all A-pluses. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have to rank up until re-listening to this a few times before this this podcast, I would always go with something else because I feel the songs are so well-observed. But I remember 20 years ago, Arthur was my favorite King's album because it rocks so much. So I've kind of come back around to that again until I listen to something else a few times, and then that will be my favorite King's album. Those, those mm-hmm. albums
2: are all perfect. I have to put in a word for Muscle Hillbillies,
0: which which I which, which I think is a great album. I do love that album. I I couldn't argue with Muscle Hillbillies on that side of the of the uh, continuum, and face to face on the other side of the continuum, though they're not but, quite my favorites. That is a good run, though. Yeah, it's a hell of a run. That's as that's as good of a run as any band's ever had, and this was right smack in the middle of it. Oh, sir! Just one more thing. One more thing. Tim.
1: One more thing is the last thing. It's the new Harry Potter movie, which comes out next week. This week or next week?
0: Next uh, week. Sure. We'll just say soon. soon.
1: Comes out. The new Harry Potter movie comes out soon. It puts a nice little uh, ribbon on the whole franchise ties it up and it should be awesome. I can't wait to go see it. I know Kirk will be there. Kirk's going to This is Harry me.
2: Potter too, right?
1: <laughs> Harry Potter 2, yes. Um, I will I will be going to see it uh, probably um, within a week of it opening and Jim will see it in 6 months when it comes out on DVD.
0: One more thing, Kirk.
2: So, um, I'm going to do an abbreviated version of mint coin. I talked a few weeks about a few weeks ago about Bitcoin. Yes. Um How's that
0: doing, by the way?
2: Um, but there have been some issues. <laughs> it really, since Coco shaved its head, we could probably switch to Bitcoin <laughs> and have the Bitcoin update, but it wouldn't be as interesting. Uh, there was a market crash. There was a heist. There's all kinds of stuff. The other extreme of that is Mint Coin, which is physical coins that they mint. Uh, and there are a billion one dollar coins
0: sitting in a vault
2: <laughs> u.s we're talking u.s currency here of course
0: we're not with talking every, like pesos or or one or something like with that.
2: everything that's going on right now talking about you know the, the recession and the shortage of revenue and should we raise taxes how can we cut expenses there's no money there's not enough money to go around every state is declaring bankruptcy um there are a billion dollars sitting in a federal vault that they had to expand because it wasn't big enough to hold all of the money that banks were sending back because no one wants it.
0: I want it. I want it. No, well- you
2: don't. And, and what it is <laughs> is the dollar coin.
1: I
0: again, love that.
2: Again, the dollar coin. So they've been trying to convert us from dollar bills to dollar coins for how long? For most of our lives. Yes. Yeah.
0: And the they're, just not, system.
2: they're just not taking off. No one wants a dollar coin. It turns out that our culture prefers paper or plastic. It's got to be one or the other, or soon, NFC. near field communications, the next technology. Oh, that's, right. The thing where you wave your phone in front of the payment thing and it debits it from your account. It's like a debit card through your phone. Hmm. So- somehow, somehow, Washington has worked out that this is not liberal or conservative. This is just the perfect example of <laughs> how things go wrong in a bureaucracy. Su- the Susan B. Anthony failed. The Sacagawea fa- failed. So they had this idea around 2005 that we just need white, old, dead white men on coins, and then they'll be popular. We've tried the Native American. We've tried the suffragette. <laughs> Let's go to Richard Nixon no. and see how those do. And so they committed to a program that would be a dollar coin for every single president. And we're only like about halfway through. And they can't, they're, they're minting more than anyone could possibly spend if they were popular. And banks can't circulate them so they're sending them all back to the federal mint and the mint is having to put them in storage and storage is having to be expanded because there are so many dollar coins because no (laughs) one wants them
1: and and yet they have
2: to keep minting more because we haven't gotten to george w bush yet (laughs) and here's my favorite part in all of this absurdity the law says they have to mint a dollar coin for every single president of the united states except the muslim Oh. That there is a Sacagawea protection clause because the senator from North Dakota <laughs> felt that Sacagawea coins should still be circulated to honor the highest profile resident of North Dakota, so, next, besides Dick Green. And so <laughs> they have a rule now if they make they have to make 20% they have to mint 20% Sacagaweas or 20% of what they meant in a precedent so if they mint a hundred thousand uh, if they meant a hundred million Nixon coins they have to make 20 million Sacagaweas
0: all I can tell you is that I have maybe 15 dollars of one dollar coins in my car and I don't know where I got them from god I some, some part of me makes me part of me thinks that they came from real mo- real money monopoly but i don't remember for sure and i have them and there's been times when i could use a dollar and want to spend a dollar or a few dollars like on tips or whatever and i w- think that whoever is at the other end of the transaction is not going to believe that i'm actually giving them real currency and that's, that's the silly. problem right there no Same one believes with the $2 these are real. dollar bill yeah.
1: so you're being you're being you're being kind of diffident with your money
0: I just well I don't want I don't I don't want the stranger that I'll never see again for the rest of my life at the other other end of the transaction to think that I'm trying to pull something on them.
1: But why would they? That they're trained actually to recognize money.
0: Oh really? Yeah. No. Now, right. let me, uh, <laughs> I, I have two things
1: to say on this. Number one, they should just make like an Elvis Presley coin and that would, everybody would get that. <laughs> and number two, what they did in the UK when they did the same exact thing is they just took the paper ones out of circulation. Every time one turned up at a bank, they destroyed it. And within a year, there was no more paper and it was all coins. But you once ha- again, you have fewer people. No, but the thing that is, that would um,
2: accelerate the move towards other forms of currency.
1: Well, the thing is, what no we, one
2: wants the coins.
1: The problem with us is we've left the choice. We've left the choice between the coin and the dollar bill. You have to say one or the other. Either we're making just coins or just dollar bills. You can't have both.
0: But the infrastructure, the infrastructure, right? The, all of the mach- all the things that take a dollar bill need to be retrofitted to take dollar coins. But and everything, that's not going to happen.
1: No, but trust me, they already do. Most of them already do. But everything that takes a bill also takes a coin. So.
0: I think we're, if
2: anything, we're moving away from physical tokens of currency. I
0: don't ever use cash hardly anymore for almost anything anymore. Yeah, I try not to use much cash.
2: Yeah, and with with the te- new technologies that are coming along, like NFC, it's going to be within the next five years. It's going to be a, a rapid transformation, especially as we start seeing smartphones get over 50 percent up to like 75 percent when this becomes a standard feature the way bluetooth is mm-hmm. in smartphones it's we're not going to have I, we're going to see um, uh these these dollar the nixon dollar coin is going to be like a mini disc
0: that it's, guy it, at the hill and 210 off ramp will have a little receiver for you just to wave in front of right, to give exactly, a right
2: exactly now he'll accept bitcoins <laughs> <laughs>
0: One more thing. We're in the final two episodes of the last great drama currently airing on network TV, Friday Night Lights. And nobody cares. Only 2.5 million watched last week, which is just kind of sad and yet completely appropriate because this show never got the audience it deserved. And of course, while that direct TV deal gave it a new life and allowed the show to course correct after a disastrous second season. It also ensured there would never be a true national conversation about Friday Night Lights. And without that conversation, there wasn't any consensus, leading it to be permanently underrated. Which is sad. Despite some monstrous mythology holes, East Dillon appearing out of thin air, characters like the McCoy family disappearing back into that same air, that whole thing with Landry and Tyra. Friday Night Lights always overcame those with amazingly well-observed characters as well as a real respect for those characters. And of course... There was Kyle Chandler and Connie Britton as Eric and Tammy Taylor, who played the most loving, real, lived-in marriage I've ever seen on TV. My guess though, Friday Night Lights' reputation will grow as people catch up with it on DVD. And that does it for Media Loper Bebop, episode 10, Shangri-La. I'd like to thank Kirk and Tim. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jim.
1: Bowing low.
0: Kirk, did any of this bring back your Aloha spirit? No, not
1: not at all. What about the beer?
0: Um
2: yeah, close. Good. The fact that my my bottle opening shoes uh, are working so efficiently actually makes me kind of happy.
1: Good.
0: We know you have a choice of podcasts, so we're glad that you listen to ours. Once again for Media Loper Bebop. I'm Jim Connolly for Tim Gaskell and Kirk Biglioni, and we'll catch you guys next time, same Bebop time, same Bebop channel.